sing the, the hymn, uh, the verse, of the chorus rather, uh, over a few times. Um, but sometimes I'll turn my microphone on too soon, and then I hurry up and turn it back off. Anyway, <laughs> oh, it is great to see you all here tonight. Uh, we are rounding the corner with Melchizedek. Lord willing, we will finish uh, this uh, series uh, this evening. I want to thank you all for your, your time and your help and your support uh, throughout this, uh, this lesson. It is great to see each of you here, both members and visitors alike. We praise God for your attendance and for your blessing us this evening. Let's go to God in prayer, please. A gracious Heavenly Father, hallowed be your great and amazing name. Thank you for the creation of the universe and all that is, things that are seen and unseen. Oh God, you grant to us uh, uh, this amazing blessing. You granted this earth to, for us to live on. You created it to be inhabited. And oh, what a great place it is. We ask, Lord God, that you'll help us to be spiritual-minded so that we might transition from this life to the next to be with you forevermore. Please bless our lesson this evening. Please guide us, Lord God, in all truth and help us in all things. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray and thank thee to be thy will. Amen. Excuse me. Exodus 28, please. So the divine appointment of, of the priesthood the Aaron's priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, they were appointed by a command. I want to read the command. I want to show you tonight how God had this plan that it was a wonderful plan, but the people who, who, who did not keep the law, that was the reason for the second law. And God has this wonderful plan that he brings to all Christians today, right? And I want to show you the transition. I want to show you not really... Excuse me, the transition. But I want to show you how we go from something that's good to something that's better. Right? All right, so Exodus 28, verse 1. Then bring near to yourself Aaron and your brother and his sons with him from among the sons of Israel to minister as priests to me. Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. And you shall make a holy garment for Aaron, your brother, and for glory and for beauty. And you shall speak to all the skillful persons whom I have endowed with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister as priest to me. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastpiece, and an ephod, and a robe, and a tunic, and a checkered work, a turban, and a sash. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother and his sons, that he may minister as priest to me. So here comes this commandment. Turn to Psalm 110. And they followed this commandment. And they, as you continue reading through, uh, all the way through Samuel and, and Kings, you find this commandment being followed. And, and the priest would have the ephod. And, and you, you just, you hear the word over and over again about the ephod or the breastplate. And Jesus, if you will, the transition comes into the New Testament to where we are all just that beautiful to God. Right? We're recognizable to God. And God expects his people to be recognizable even to the world, right? And so we are God's priests today. When people see us, they're supposed to see the reflection of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be different from the world. But this came as a commandment to Aaron and to this priesthood. Psalm 110, if you will, in verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Thou art a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. But Melchizedek and the Melchizedekian priesthood came by an oath. 
a promise. Now, there's a difference between a commandment and a promise, right? We follow in this amazing blessing that we receive from God through the Melchizedekian priesthood. It's all a promise. When God promises something, we recognize that God is a promise keeper. Now, I want you to think about something, if you would. It's about 1,767 years from the day that Exodus 28 began to about the time that Jesus Christ was born. And I want you to think about what God has done for those 18 centuries. How God has, has ensured that everything that happened, every event, whether they are wars or weather incidents or, or animals or whatever it may be, that everything worked in such a perfect way that Jesus Christ would come born of a woman who's a virgin, that he would come and be the fulfillment of the promise. And there was nothing that Satan could do about it. There was nothing that mankind could do about it. So, for, so just imagine this. For 18 centuries, right, we know it's, it's all of time, but for 18 centuries, God is ensuring that this promise that he made 1,700 plus years ago comes to pass. Brethren, we can trust in God. All right, so now I'm going to go over to the New Testament now. Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Would the fulfillment come to pass? Would these things actually happen? Verse 17. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath. Now, I want you to think for just a moment. As I'm going through this lesson, I'm going to use the word better often. Better, 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 better. And I want you to be thinking about something that's even better than what we have right here. I want you to think about what God's transitional plan is. From the patriarchal dispensation to the mosaical dispensation to John's dispensation, to the Christian dispensation, and then we step outside of time forever. And God promised that he made a place, a better place, than where we're, we're appreciating and living in right now, heaven. So I want you to think about all the good things about right now and what you enjoy the most, but recognize that God has something even better for his people. Right? Chapter 7 and verse 26. The Bible says it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. So they went from this priest who had sin, who wasn't always holy or sanctified or what he was supposed to be. We've gone to perfection in Jesus Christ. So we went from Melchizedekian priesthood to the Levitical priesthood that failed to Christ to perfection to holiness to blamelessness to purity and innocence Jesus set apart from all else it just gets better alright let's keep going verse 9 chapter 6 verse 9 the Bible says, but 
Beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation through, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which he has shown toward his name in having ministered and is still ministering to the saints. So now we've gone from humanity who we are forgetful to the unchangeableness of God who never forgets, right? So we've gone from something that's good to something that's perfect and better. We're serving a God who does not change his mind. We're serving a God who will not forget for us, for our sake, the blessing of salvation, the promise and the oath is sure and true and concrete. And you can put all of your hope in God. You can put all of your life in Jesus Christ. You can give him everything. You're not going to lose. But we have to get that up here. I mean, it's right here, but we need to get it up here for 17 hundred and sixty something years he affected the world to ensure that his better promises would come to his people what do you think the next one's going to be like heaven right better and better and better so he goes on we have now this hope that is in christ jesus look at chapter 7 and verse 18 7 verse 18 for on the one hand there is a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weaknesses and uselessness. Wait a minute. Would you have called God's commandment useless? Would you have called that priesthood weak and useless? But when you compare it to Jesus, <laughs> it's weak and it's useless. Isn't that beautiful? We're going from what's good to what's perfect and better. He goes on in verse 20. And he says, verse 19 rather, For the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Now, we could see their hope, right? We could see their hopelessness too. We saw that they had fallen away and they worshiped idol gods and, and they got sidetracked and, and Satan attacked them. But we watched through that display or that demonstration of God's love. We watched them walk away from God and come back to God and walk away from God and come back to God. But see, what we're supposed to do as God's people today is we're supposed to look back and learn the lesson of Israel and see that as long as they stayed faithful to God, what happened? They were always victorious always there wasn't a time when you look back in history from today looking all the way back where god's people were ever placed in a hopeless situation it may have felt like it but it was never hopeless and what god has brought to us is this jesus who brought a better hope for the world through the melchizedekian promise through the oath. Stay in chapter 7. Look, if you will, over at um, verse 18. Excuse me, verse 21. For they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath through the one whom said to him, the Lord has sworn 
and will not change his mind. Thou art a priest forever. So much. The more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Guarantee of this. There was nothing Satan could do. And there's no way that man could stop it. I mean, we have wars and we, and we have struggles and we, there was nothing that man could do to stop the promise that God has made. So God has made promises to us. We can look at Melchizedek and we can look at the promise and say, if God made good on that, I know he's going to make good on me, right? Where's your faith? You can give it all to the Lord. We can give everything to Jesus. So here, God gives us a better hope. There's salvation in Christ. There's a better covenant. And then chapter 8, if you will, and verse 6. You love a promise. I love a promise. But then the Bible says in verse 6, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. Now, I don't know about you, but if someone says, I, I want to give you a promise, but wait, wait. No, let me give you even a better promise. I like better, don't you? Right? So here's a better promise and a better covenant because it's perfect. It comes from the holy and the blameless. It comes from God himself and is not based on, based on a generation after a generation. It's based on an oath. And when God makes an oath, he makes it upon himself because there's no one greater. So here we are following in this amazing relationship with our God. And then he took it even a step further. Chapter 9, if you will, in verse 23. The Bible says, Therefore it was necessary for the copies of the, of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. What else could God have given us? He gave us himself. <laughs> I mean, what other sacrifice could God have given us that would be better than himself? And we're to be like Jesus, right? Are you willing to give yourself? Are you willing to give it all to God? We have salvation. We have a better hope. We have a better covenant. We have better promises. We have the ultimate sacrifice. And then chapter 10 and verse 34, he goes even further. Verse 34, the Bible says there, For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. God says, look, you don't need to fight about something that you lose, meaning your home. You already have one. You already have a... Didn't Jesus say, I go to prepare a place for you? Right? Uh, in my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. You already have one. Don't fight over this one. God says, I'm taking you one step further. I need to move you from the physical to the spiritual, right? So chapter 11, he moves us, if you will, through the prophets from the Levitical over to the Melchizedekian, from the physical 
over to the spiritual. And in verse 13, he gives us an example to look at. It says, and these, chapter 11, verse 13, all these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they were, had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So, a better country, better possessions, better promises, better sacrifices, better hope, a better covenant. I mean, what more can we ask for, church? What more could we ask for? Are you willing to give your life wholly over to God? And if not, what are you waiting for? What more do you need? Chapter 9, please, beginning at verse 1. Look at the sanctuary from the physical to the spiritual, from the, from the Levitical to the Melchizedekian priesthood, to Jesus. Verse 1. Now, even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one, in which were the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread. This is called the holy place. And behind the second veil, there was a tabernacle, which is called the holy of holies, having a golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding the manna and Aaron's rod which budded and the tables of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. But of these things we cannot speak now in detail. Now when these things have been this, uh, thus prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle performing the divine worship. But into the second only the high priest enters once a year not without taking blood which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance so the earthly sanctuary was symbolic but even though they went through this whole process if they stayed in the physical they would not receive the spiritual promise because the physical it was doing something in the mind of god but they didn't understand The reality, the reality is this. Chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come. That's the reality. We talked about types, right? Types and shadows. It's just a shadow. They were just living in the shadow. They they weren't living in the reality of the spiritual. They were living in the shadow. For the law, since it only has a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices, year by year, which they offer continually, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, will they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Right? So can you imagine what you would have felt like if you were the priest in those days, knowing you were going through a, uh, uh, 
a shadow, right? You were going through this process, but it was just a shadow. And at some point, you would have had to ask God, God, what is the spiritual meaning to this? And God would have taken you to the reality and said, the Messiah is coming. But see, they wouldn't understood that. They didn't understand that. They weren't ready for that. So they were going through this program over and over again. God was looking forward to the Christ who would come. It was just a shadow. And that's it. Chapter 9, verse 8. The Holy Spirit is signifying this. That the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed, while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. So, so here you are, you're serving God, but, but whatever you're doing that's right, it can never make you perfect. You need Jesus, right? That's the key. We, all of us, need Jesus. Here's what he says, verse 10. Since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. The symbols could never cleanse your soul. The spiritual is greater than the physical. So the question is, have, have we moved from the physical to the spiritual? And what I mean by that is this. How many of us are so still today, fleshly minded, that, that this world is my home, and have not said, wait a minute, let me allow everything in the world to take second place and for God to be number one in my heart? In word and in deed, right? I want him to be number one in my heart, right? There's no reason for me to ever forsake God. I saw what happened back in the old days. I saw what happened. I witnessed. I've read it. As I've seen it. I'm reading it. I know it. I get it. I believe it. And those who stay with the Lord, I saw the victory. I've read the victory. Are you ready for the victory in your life? You got to get out of that Levitical priesthood. We got to get out of that physical and move on to the spiritual, right? No more, no more of this of foolishness and, and silliness in the church and in our minds. But moving to be the people that God would have us to be. So here's what God does. The law, nothing on the earth could remove or cleanse the conscience. But listen to Jesus. Verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 9. But when Christ appeared, yeah, I love that but, right? That conjunction. <laughs> we were in trouble, but Jesus came. That's all right. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh, 
how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And that's what Jesus has done. See, I, I, can, I, can, I can wake up in the morning and I can pray to God and I can work through my day and I can pray to God and I can stay in prayer to God and repentance and confession and I'll know without a shadow of a doubt that not only does God hear me, but He cleanses me. And when I ask Him to forgive me, I know that He has done it. I can believe that and I know this. God's not going to bring it up like we do next week. He says, your sins and lawless deeds I'll remember no more. It's better. It's better. God moves us to better things. Look at what he does. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. The Messiah has brought to us this amazing gift. You have to love how this is written. I want you to think about the separation between Jesus and the high priest before. Verse 14. Since then the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. remember standing at the deathbed of some, uh, some folks. And, and I remember thinking about how Christians uh, leave this world and how the world leaves and, and the mindset, faithful Christians. And, and I remember watching uh, one person and I remember thinking to myself, I think what happens is I'm watching this, we kick and scream in this life in fear of the next life. But not God's people. We never died before, so we don't know how to die, do we? we? We don't know the process. I don't know what I'm going to do. But it's like we kick and scream in this life. We close our eyes in this life and we wake up in glory. It's like, why was I fighting? And until we can find that, that transitional mindset, where we can really honestly say, okay, look, I'm going the way of my fathers. I'm going the way of, of Jesus. I'm leaving this life. We're all going to die. <laughs> and we don't have to get a second opinion. It's going to happen. Die with Jesus. Right? Die in the arms of Jesus. He said, I came to the earth and I lived and I was persecuted and oppressed and I went through all kinds of, of, of wickedness and evil uh, brought to me by Satan and by, by the people. But I showed you how to die with the Father. Die with Jesus. Let God do what he came to do. And that is, in verse 15, might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery. Let Jesus enter into your heart to free you. To free you. If not, even God's people remain in slavery. Captured. Captured and captivated by what's natural. 
life and death. And I know someone might say, well, it's easier said than done. Well, yeah, I know that. And I'm not trying to make mockery of anyone. But I know Jesus came to free us from the fear of death. So that we would look at death better. It's a transition. That's all it is. It's just a transition. We've got to go from the flesh to the spirit. He showed us, you see. There's a Levitical priesthood. Took us from the flesh to the Melchizedekian priesthood. Took us to the spiritual. Now he's going to take us from the flesh, here we are, to the spiritual. We have to transition from this life into the next. Jesus broke the power of Satan. Jesus came to show us that death is not the end. It's the beginning of a transitioned person. See? So in Romans, he said in chapter 12, don't be like the world, right? Beloved brethren, I beseech you. You know, he said, you got to give it all to God, right? It's your spiritual act or service of worship. Don't be carnal-minded. Be spiritual-minded. You've been freed from carnality. All of us have. So it goes on. It just gets better. Verse 16. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. How much better can it get? He doesn't help the angel with all the power. No. They don't live by faith. You know angels don't live by faith. Right? They see. They're with God in his presence. We live by faith, but God helps us. In every way. And in verse 17, the text says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Well, why did he have to do that? Well, because of the littleness of our faith. Does God understand? And then you have the preacher come along and say, well, of course God understands. Well, I don't know if God understands because I'm going through this. Jesus came and went through everything you're going through. So, no, he understands. He he did that because of the littleness of our faith. And then finally, verse 18 says, For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. But wasn't he always able? It's just the littleness of our faith. Chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest. And how do we have this great high priest? It's an oath. The Melchizedekian priesthood. The Melchizedekian promise. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without... Sometimes I want to read this scripture over and over and over again because of the the littleness of our, our Christian faith. Because some of us don't believe Jesus knows what we're going through. Some of us don't believe that Jesus has been tempted in all things as we, but yet without sin. Some of us believe, well, you know, every now and then you have to give up and give in to sin. Uh, No, that's not true. It's a choice. 
Some of us don't believe that Jesus Christ, though He was all man and, and all God, could actually sin. Uh, yes, He could. He could have. When you get the spiritual walk, if you will, in your mind, you recognize that the only reason that we can have confidence coming before God is because of Jesus, the Messiah. The verse says, 16, Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. Okay, let's wrap all this up. Let's wrap all this up in chapter 5 in just a moment. Are you ready to draw near to God with confidence? Not because of you, but because of Jesus. Anytime we step outside and say, you know, look at me, God. You know that song we sang, Listen to My Heart? I don't really like saying that song. (laughs) My heart isn't always right. I'd rather sing the song something like, Listen to my heart as you see me through the blood of Jesus. <laughs> right? And that's, that's how maybe, I get it. I know, I know the song is intended for our good. But once you step outside and think you've got it all figured out, we're going to find ourselves in trouble. Stay in the blood of Jesus. Right? Stay behind Jesus. You know the confidence in, in preaching? The confidence in preaching is stay behind this book. Right? Don't step out in front of it. Stay behind Jesus. Closing out in chapter 5. It says in verse 5. So also Christ did not glorify himself. So as to become a high priest. But he who has said to him, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. Just as he also says in another passage. Thou art a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. That verse ought to ought to strike a nerve in you. And it and it ought to it ought to it ought to humble me. And it, and it ought to make me step back for just a moment out of my own mind and all that stuff and say when the Messiah though he was strengthened when Judas came and he went on his way that evening. And, and the people, the priest and the Sanhedrin and the people that were there, the soldiers later, and they beat him. And they tortured him. And they mocked him. And they ridiculed him. And they treated him inhumanely. And it was horrible. And our Lord, our Lord cried. Doesn't that bother you? They made Jesus cry. He was suffering. He was hurting. 
He was tortured. And he cried to the Father because of the pain and the agony. And then the text says, and the Father heard him because of his piety. And you say, but wait a minute, he still died on the cross. How did God hear him? Because God so loved the world. Jesus on the cross. He just wanted the Father to give him the strength to make it through. Save us. Just to strike a nerve inside of you. And I remember there was a time in my life when I was ashamed being a Christian. You know, I didn't want to admit it. But I was. It wasn't until one day when I realized something. These people have done nothing for me. Why am I worried about them? I need to honor my God. I don't care who's standing in front of me. And verses like this make you say, I have to be committed to the only one who could save me, who died for me. But he didn't just die. He suffered in agony so that Tony Cloud could be saved. And although he was a son, verse 8, God didn't just zap him and say, here, you're perfect. He had to learn stuff, right? He had to learn obedience the same way that we do from the things in which he suffered. He suffered. He had to learn like we do, and he did it for us. And, verse 9, having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Now, before I let you go, here's what he chose to do. He chose not to sin. Am I willing to make that same choice? It's a choice. It's a choice. When you rub me the wrong way, it's a choice. When, when struggles come my way, it's a choice to step back and ask, Tony, how are you going to deal with this? You have a choice to be mean and obstinate. It's a choice to be rebellious. It's a choice to be evil. It's a choice to mistreat people is a choice. Jesus chose not to sin. And he did not. Being designated, verse 10, by God as a high priest to the order of Melchizedek. Thank you, God, for moving us from the physical to the spiritual. The lesson's yours. Tonight, if there's uh, something that maybe you're struggling with in your life and you could use a little help, a few more prayers, We'd love to pray with you, pray for you. If you're not a Christian and you have not surrendered to God in the waters of baptism, it's a choice. We extend an opportunity to you this evening. If there's anything we can do, please come while together we stand and sing our song of invitation.